If you notice that the Good Life logo is just this pineapple, and I've been sharing kind of the inspiration from that, was based off of the first time I ever had pineapple. It was on a, a Hawaiian pizza where they had these little chunks of pineapple that probably came out of a can, just saturated with like a sugary syrup. And it was the first time I can recall ever having pineapple. And I tried it and I thought, this is pretty good. This is tasty. It's sweet. I like it. I like it on my pizza. Deal with it. Um, I know some people really don't. Not really against Hawaiian pizzas. I'm not sure why. It's, it's good. It's got Hawaiian on Hawaiian, uh, Hawaiian has pineapple on it, and that's good, you know. But then I also shared the first time I had fresh pineapple. And, and, and the differences couldn't have been more stark. Uh, I was in Trinidad, Tobago, and uh, it was the day before we were going to fly back home after doing a, a little scouting for a, a mission trip that we were going to be on with a bunch of students. And, and our host had, had made fresh pineapple. He just pulled it uh, uh, on his property and plucked it that morning and cut it all up and had it laid out for us. It, it, it's like I'd never tasted pineapple before. It was so fresh and juicy and life-giving and sweet and and. and Except for a little bit of taste, it didn't compare to those chunks from a can. And that got me thinking about where else in my life am I experiencing chunks from a can when there's fresh pineapple waiting for me? Where else in my life am I just, you know, I think I'm in the good life, but man, there is much greater somewhere else. One of the ways that I've seen this play itself out in my life is truly in this concept of what is the good life. Growing up, I, I thought the good life was this. This is what I saw when I was in junior high and, and high school. I can specifically remember thinking this. I thought, okay, the good life is going to be get a well-paying job. And so your college decisions and schooling decisions have to orchestrate where you go to get this well-paying job. Uh, get married and have the average of 2.3 kids. Uh, I wasn't sure how the point three was going to work out, but you know, at least start having some kids and, and building a family. Uh, and then get your own house to call your own, the white picket fence. And it, I didn't really truly want a white picket fence, just not my style, but you get the point. You know, I wanted that kind of picturesque, nice little house, a nice little suburb. And for me, that was at that point in my life what I thought was the good life, and I've found as I've grown that that was my canned pineapple. Not bad, but it was chunks of pineapple in syrup where there was something even greater, there's something better to be had. And, and what I've learned is that, man, the good life is more about finding our purpose in life and in living in that reality of who God has made us to be. I found that the good life is in building a family and the relationships that are within that family and, and the relationships we have with others. Um, if you're not married, if you're not in, in a relationship, that the relationships you build with, with friends and those in your community, those relationships centered on a life built in Jesus. That's where the good life rests. I learned that engaging our community, sharing the love, joy, hope, and freedom that we find in Jesus, man, th this is the fresh pineapple just waiting for us. And, and so it was a process of growing and, and seeing that my uh, initial understanding was just chunks in a can, but God had this fresh pineapple for me. Here at Meadowland, we believe that the good life is a life that's found in Jesus. If you were to say, Steve, can you define the good life? It'd be that simple. The good life is a life that is found and built in who Jesus is. And that can look like many different things. We can come into this room together. We can all be from different walks of life. We can be from different belief systems as far as how to move forward in life and what's important and what's not. But the good life boils down to a life that is built and centered on the person of Jesus. See, as we understand who we are as humans we know that we're, we're inherently broken right 
that there's a part of us that no matter how, how much we desire good and great things, no matter how much we desire uh, to live a life that, that cares for others and, and accomplishes a, a blessing, that we make mistakes, that we fall short even of our own goals, our own, our own desires. We make mistakes. As we look through the pages of Scripture, we see the Bible refers that as sin where we've fallen short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of God's plan for our life. We've, we've gone against His Word and disobeyed our Creator. But the good news is, God doesn't just leave us in that position because that sin separates us from Him. It puts a rift between us and God. And there's nothing we can do to bridge that. There's nothing we can do to overcome that. It's like if we started making a list on one side, all the things that we've done wrong, all the sin in our life, and on the other side, all the good, great, grand, wonderful things. And we can keep doing good things from this point forward and working at our absolute hardest and trying to do it the best that we can. But you, while that list may be much longer on the right side, if you make that kind of dedication in your life, it doesn't change the fact that you still have the other side of the list. That's why God sent his son Jesus who came and walked in our shoes. He was both fully God and fully man. He came in the flesh. And he lived a perfect life. He was the only one who could do that because he was fully God. He lived a perfect life. And he was the only one who didn't deserve that separation from God. And yet, he laid down his life on the cross. He allowed his body to be broken and his life to be taken so that in his death, we may have life. See, he paid the price for our sin. He took that one side of our list, tore it off, and said, I got this covered. I'm going to go pay the penalty for this. It was the ultimate separation, death from, uh, the death that led to separation from God. And we're left holding, here's the things that, that bring God glory and honor. But the story doesn't end there. Jesus overcame and defeated death. On the third day, he rose again and eventually, resurrected, or eventually ascended into heaven. So that there is a life that is found in him. Not only does he forgive us of our sin, but then when we follow Jesus, we live a life free from shame, free from guilt, and full of purpose and joy and hope. It's why we as a church strive to see lives changed by Jesus and disciples of Jesus made. One, because we know that at the end of the day, we can't change anyone's lives, but we can be faithful to the things that God's calling us to and trust that he will work in and through us as he calls us to in his word. We can trust that God is going to work in and through us in the lives of others because ultimately it's Jesus who changes lives. That's why I believe that the good life is one that is centered on Jesus. Life is found in him. Forgiveness of sin is found in him. Righteousness is found in him. So to those of us here this morning who are followers of Jesus, we know that this life, this journey with him, is a continually refining process, right? It's kind of this already but not yet. Jesus has already done a work in our lives. And we, when we trust in him, he's already re uh, made us righteous. We know that how the story is going to end, that when we come to the end of our days here on this earth, that we will be in eternity in heaven with our God. Jesus has already done a work in us. But while we continue to live our lives in this world, his work is not yet complete at the same time. There's a refining process that takes place where the more we get to know who Jesus is, the more we seek after him, the more he makes us to be like him. 
I love that imagery of the refiner's fire. If you're not familiar with how it works, you put a bunch of things in one little pot and you stoke it and you get the flames burning hot underneath it. And as that metal is refined and the impurities are burnt off, the, 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 the surface of that metal becomes clearer and clearer and begins to reflect the refiner more and more. And so as God refines us and does a work in us, we become more like him. So those who follow Jesus, we know that. We understand that. And my hope for us this morning is that we would continue to be refined and continue to become like Jesus. For those of you here this morning who don't trust in Jesus, you're not followers of Jesus, you're, you're not sure where you land on that. Maybe you are. You're like, hey, it's just not for me. Or maybe you're, you're here this morning investigating who he is. Wherever you land in that not following Jesus side of, of the equation, I invite you to consider him in the ways he calls us to live. Just, just consider it for a moment, because here's what I know about Jesus. Jesus longs for you to discover your purpose and to live in that reality on a daily basis. Jesus longs uh, and desires for you to have healthy and strong relationships. Jesus wants you to live a life of freedom from the weight of the world. God desires good things for you. He wants blessings to pour out in your life. He wants you to become more like him because he knows it will be the good life for you. And so even if you're still unsure of Jesus, I would, I would encourage you to consider him. And one of the ways you can do that is try to walk the way that he calls us to walk. Try to live in a way that he would call us to live and see what God does in your life. Well, as we continue this morning, I want to share a farming principle that works far beyond the fields and the farms. It's as simple as this. So little, reap little. So much, reap much. If you plant a little, you can harvest a little. If you plant a lot, you can harvest a lot. So little, reap little. So much, reap much. Imagine yourself as a child in a field with an elder, a parent, an uncle, an aunt, a grandparent, and imagine you, ha you don't fully understand farming and how things grow and that whole concept. And, and you have in your hand a handful of seed. And you've been taught enough that you know that there's value and there's, there, there's sustenance and life in, in that seed. And you say to your elder, man, I would really like some more of this. How can I get some more? And they turn to you and they say, throw it in the field. You'd think they were crazy, right? So to get more, I get rid of all this? I drove down a little side street the other day and I think someone's trying to get a lot more televisions in their life because they threw a television out in a field. So it was one of those big massive ones that you don't know what to do with nowadays. And uh, spoiler alert, they float. Don't ask how I know that, but they do float. And they do, they're resistant to small arms fire, but that's a story for a whole other sermon. <laughs> so throw it out in the field would be the elder's response. And you'll get more. It just, when we really stop and think about that, it just seems so backwards. But when we understand how things grow, we know that, man, if we throw a bunch of seeds out, those seeds will grow in that field and they'll produce a harvest. Where each one probably can, you know, if we have a small handful, each plant that grows up can replenish that handful. And so if 100 plants grow, we now have a hundredfold of what we started with. And that's the principle we're going to be looking at here this morning. The Ericsons have many farmers in their background, and it's amazing how much technology has changed farming. You know, if you want to figure out how to maximize a plot of land, uh, on one hand, they have uh, programs, computer programs, 
that can figure out the best spacing, the best placement of all your rows, uh, so that when, when the tractor's got to go to plant everything, you know, it's not running over seeds or spots it shouldn't be running over, and it can maximize the square footage that you have, the acreage that you have. And then they have GPS trackers that can make sure the tractor gets it directly in the spot that was planned to go. And there's varying degrees of GPS. Some, you can almost just sit in the truck and just watch it go. It'll turn. It'll do all these other things. Other ones will just keep you on a straight line. And yes, there are stories of farmers falling asleep and not making the turn. And they end up four fields over and not quite sure how they got there because that GPS kept them on a straight line. In order to maximize the, the yield of the seed sown, they can test soil, determine the ideal ratios of fertilizer needed. Uh, th there's actually a, a different way to apply fertilizer where you can use a disc that's kind of slide it underneath the top of the soil to use less fertilizer and increase its efficiency. All this technology can go into farming, but this one simple truth still reigns. You sow a little, you'll reap a little. You sow much, you'll reap much. My cousin, who's a farmer, I, and I know he's using all these things because he's the one I've learned them from. At the end of the day, I still know if he wants more harvest, he goes out looking for another field, another place to sow much. So the question I, I, I want to ask us all this morning, is there some aspect of your life where you're longing for more blessing? Is there somewhere in your life where you're longing for more that you want to apply this principle to? I mean, just take a moment to think about where in your life would you desire more? Are you looking for more grace and more forgiveness in your relationships? Maybe you got some difficult relationships in your life right now, and you got people who aren't offering forgiveness or, or receiving it well. There's not much grace in those relationships back and forth, but there's a lot of judgment. Are you looking for more grace? Could, could the, the solution to that be as simple as throwing more grace and forgiveness out there, sowing more grace and forgiveness. Maybe you're longing for more joy and cheer in your daily life. Maybe you just realize and you've kind of become a Scrooge. And sure, I know it's the season coming up where that kind of, you know, you can be a Scrooge for Christmas, but still no one likes it. <laughs> so maybe you want some more joy and cheer in your life. Maybe the solution begins by giving more of it out. You desire maybe more honesty in your conversations and interactions with others. Maybe you feel like everyone's always lying to you. And again, we can't control other people's actions, but maybe one way in which you could increase that in your life is by giving more of it out. Where in your life do you want more blessing? What's it look like to sow more of that blessing in order to reap more of what you desire? Well, if you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. That's where we're going to be here this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Because see what happens is the Apostle Paul uses the same principle with the church in Corinth. See what's going on is, is there were some needs in Jerusalem. And so they'd gone out to other churches to say, hey, could you help this church? It'd be the equivalent of, uh, kind of like, so like you can imagine there's some churches in, in the Florida Panhandle after the, the hurricane that have some needs, they need some help, and we can rally together. So it's kind of like saying, hey, here's some churches that need help. Can we rally together and, and send them some resources to help them rebuild? Different situation, but kind of similar concept. And, and so the church in Corinth, man, they've just pledged a, a bountiful amount. They are sowing bountifully. 
They are sowing much in what they pledge to give. And so Paul, before we get to the verse we're going to look at here this morning, is basically saying, hey, people are so pumped about this. People are excited about your generosity. We're sending someone to come collect it just to kind of pull this thing all together. This is a good and a great thing. And then he gets this point here in verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this. Can I just pause a minute? I mean, I don't know your experiences in God's Word and reading the Bible. And sometimes it can be difficult. Sometimes it can be real challenging. But isn't it awesome? We, we get kind of a, a, a loft ball, you know, a, kind of a, a, an easy ball toss like this. I, I, there's an expression here I'm looking for that's escaping me. But where it's like, hey, what's the point of this passage? Paul's like, the point is this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You don't have to wonder what Paul's trying to get at. He makes it clear. Here's the point. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The church in Corinth is sowing bountifully, and Paul's encouraging them in that, saying, hey, there's, there's going to be a huge harvest because of this. One, the, the, the goal we're raising these funds for will, will be met. You can help serve others, which is a beautiful thing. But your gift is encouraging others in their generosity, and more are coming alongside in, in this endeavor because of your generosity. And, and you kind of begin to read between the lines here and see, hey, there's some joy in this as well. Paul said God loves a cheerful giver. He's seeing their joy and their cheer. He's encouraging the whole in, in, onto that and stay in that place because God's heart is not that we would give begrudgingly, not that we would give uh, out of compulsion where someone's twisting our arm or guilting us. Those are not of God. God's heart when we, is that we would give cheerfully as we've decided in our own hearts. And so Paul's just pumped about this. He's encouraging them. He's saying, hey, you guys are giving bountifully. That's a beautiful thing. Are you familiar with the story of a substitute teacher named Ruth Reed from New Jersey? Have you heard her story? I guess gas stations, there's a, a chain of gas stations in New Jersey called Wawa's, if I'm pronouncing that right. And uh, For the past couple years, um, Ruth has made an endeavor to at least once a week bless somebody at a Wawa gas station. Why those ones, I don't know, but that's just, she just wants to be generous with, with, with other people. And so about three years now, she's been doing this, where one, at least once a week, she'll go and she tries to pay for someone's gas or, or their snacks or whatever they're doing. And, and so she ends up in line at the gas station, and, and there's uh, some people in front of her, and this gentleman's trying to pay for his gas station snacks. So it's probably like just a, you know, a pop and some chips or something like that, and the bill was probably like $27. And, and so... Um, he's having issues with his card. So he's got a card, it's just not, something's not working with it. And so he realizes he's short on cash. He has some, but he doesn't have enough. And, and he was about to turn to, to someone who was with him and ask, hey, do you have money? And she sees, and she, okay, here's my opportunity. So she was already looking for ways to be generous. I love that. She wants to be bountiful in, in, in sewing. And she says, hey, you know what? Sir, sir, hi, my name is Ruth. Can, can I help you? Can I cover that for you? And so he says, well, thank you, man. My name's Keith. I really appreciate you doing that. And she says, so she pays for his food and, and, and helps him out. And then, you, you know who you look like? You look like that guy, Keith Urban. It's funny that your name's Keith because you look just like Keith Urban. He says, well, that's funny because I am Keith Urban. 
And, and, and she said, well, no, you can't be. And, well, here, talk to my bodyguard. He'll, he'll convince you. The other people who were with him was his bodyguard. And so here this lady is paying for Keith Urban's uh, gas station snacks simply because she just wanted to be helpful. She wanted to be generous. And this story has gone viral, and it's inspiring others to be generous. Uh, different, she didn't, didn't have a Twitter. She, I don't, maybe she has a Twitter account now. I don't know because all the, 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 the story of it, her story got shared on Twitter. And, and she always comments people saying, oh, man, I'm, I'm inspired to be generous as well because of the generosity of this lady. Maybe people have ulterior motives because they want to meet Keith Urban or his wife, Nicole Kidman. I don't know. But, hey, there's generosity. And, and as you sow more, you will reap more. Uh, even the point where uh, MasterCard got involved, of course, maybe there's a little uh, positive PR for them as well. But still, there's a generous offer. They say, hey, we want, we want to take care of the next year for you. And so they sent her, they didn't say how much, but they sent her 20, uh, I'm sorry, 52 prepaid gift cards for her to give out each week uh, at the Wawa gas station. And so here's this lady who's just wanting to be generous, and, and she's being a, a bountiful in her sowing. And, and man, what amazing stories to just see that she is reaping a bountiful harvest of generosity. As I thought about this topic of generosity, I was talking about my wife. We kind of came to this conclusion that everyone loves a generous giver, right? Everyone loves a generous giver. When you hear Ruth's story, we all kind of, man, that's awesome. Way to go, Ruth. I don't know who you are, but way to go. High five. You've likely been on the receiving side of a generous giver, right? When I was a college student, there was a family that was looking to get a new car, and uh, for them, the car that they were trading out, you know, that they were going to be done with, was just kind of something like, well, they could trade it in or whatever. They didn't really need it. And they say, see, would you like this? And it meant the world to me. It was this, this generous offer, and, and I, I've been on the receiving side of a generous giver. I'm sure each one of us has. I hope you have at some point. And if you haven't, my purview is that you would get to experience that. Um, as far as seeing that in person, we're going to get to Another point, how we experience that from our God, but I hope you've witnessed that many points in your life. We all love a generous giver, and yet, you know, you've got to perk up when you hear the yet. <laughs> we all love a generous giver, yet we struggle to be a generous giver. We struggle to give generously, right? Everyone loves a generous giver, yet we struggle to give generously. We grow tight-fisted with our money, with our finances, when we think someone's talking to us because they want something, Right? If you're in conversation, all of a sudden you feel it starting to turn towards the, okay, no, no, really, what's the real reason you called me up after not talking for six months? Okay, what's the real reason I got this email in my inbox? And we, we begin to get a little cynical sometimes, even if it's just a genuine request that maybe we actually might want to be a part of. We can grow tight-fisted when we think someone wants something from us. We get this you-go-first mentality. You ever experienced that before? Well, I'll be kind, I'll be generous with my kindness, when so-and-so is kind to me first. I'll be gracious and loving. I'll be generous with, with my food, with my resources, with my money, whatever it is, once so-and-so is generous first. If you have a sibling, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, you go first. You go first. Yeah, I think another reason we struggle to give generously is because we compartmentalize compassion to areas that are close to us in our life. Let me explain what I mean. Um, I, I have family members who have been uh, uh, touched with, with cancer. Uh, another family who's been touched with uh, Parkinson's. And so when I see different organizations that they are pursuing cancer research or Parkinson's research, man, it's, I, I'm quicker to have a heart of compassion towards those needs. 
because I've been personally affected by that. And and there's nothing wrong with that. It makes sense. I I get that. I understand that. But I think sometimes we use that as a a reason to kind of shut off other areas of life. Oh, I don't need to show compassion in those areas of life because I don't have a horse in in the race. I don't have any skin in the game. I haven't been affected by that in any way. And so we compartmentalize our compassion to just the areas in which we've been personally afflicted or affected. You know, I think another reason that we struggle to be generous, and these may not be all the time things, but maybe just when an opportunity arises, one of these things kind of keeps us from being generous and just sowing much. I think sometimes we elevate our own comfort over compassion. If we can just be honest about that. I know I've been that way. Where an opportunity to give, an opportunity to be generous comes before you, comes across your path, and you just think, man, I, I, could, I could do something here, but I, I don't want to give up my time. I, I don't want to give up what I could have gotten if I didn't give what it is that I'm being asked to give. I'm comfortable. I, I don't want to mess up the balance. I don't want to sacrifice. So I think sometimes we struggle to give generously because we get too comfortable, and that like, attacks our compassion towards others. I think sometimes we just struggle with our own needs, right? You, you ever have someone come to you looking for something, anything, and, and they're telling you their story, and all you can think about is, hey, let me know when you're done so I can tell you my story, because I got some needs in my life, right? And we're just being honest. Let's be honest about who we are as people that sometimes we struggle to give generously. And this, I'm just scratching the surface. I'm sure we could all figure out different reasons why we we struggle in that, but let's be honest. Everyone loves a generous giver, yet we struggle to give generously. So the question I think that that follows off of that is, how can we grow in our own generosity? If that's our goal, if that's the call to be a generous giver, how can we grow in generosity? How can we grow in sowing bountifully? How can we get into that farmer mindset who knows, if I want more grain, i got to throw more grain out there. If I want a bigger harvest, i got to sow more. I'm going to offer four suggestions for us here this morning. If you desire to become more generous, here's just four suggestions. I'm sure you could uh, make up some other ones and, and figure them out. We have a great dialogue, and you know what? I encourage you. I would encourage that. Have a dialogue on this afterwards. I'd love to be a part of that, too. One thing we can do, four suggestions for those who desire to become more generous. One thing we can do is know that God is a God who gives generously. If you struggle with that you first kind of mentality, let's just turn our focus first to God because he's given first. Our God is a God who gives generously. He gave us life and purpose, knitting us together in our mother's womb, breathing life into our lungs, calling us to himself, giving us a purpose in living for him and making much of the name of Jesus and centering our life on him and then living our lives in this world in a way that makes him known, in a way that sows blessing bountifully. God has given us this world that we live in, full of its beauty and its mystery and its wonder. If you've ever enjoyed the seasons or enjoyed the outdoors, you have enjoyed a gift from God. If you enjoy the sciences and digging into how things work and how, they, how ecosystems work and how other systems in our world work together and digging in, trying to figure out the past and how these things came to be, wherever you land on the science on that, wherever you, you, you think this is how God must have done it. If you've been there, then you've experienced the gift 
that God's given us in this world. God's given us a way for us to be with him. This is the biggest one. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave us Jesus. We trust in him. And we're forgiven of our sin and we're washed clean and that we can stand before God Almighty as pure and spotless, full of righteousness. Blows me away every time I get to say that. God gives his people uh, God gives to his people, providing all that is needed. If you keep reading here, we say our God is a generous giving, uh, as a generous giver. In verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increasing the harvest of your righteousness. This, this phrase, God generously gives all grace. Uh, Paul actually uses this earlier in, in this letter. And we can see what he's referring to, saying that, that God gives all blessings. He's able to make all grace abound, all blessings be given. He's able to give all blessings. And, and so we see our God as a generous giver. And we see it outlined here, but there's, there's more in this. One of the reasons that God gives is so that we will have all that we need. If one of the reasons you, you struggle with generosity is because you see your own needs so, so many times when, when those opportunities come by to be generous, we see in verse 8, so that having all sufficiency in all things in all times. God wants to bless us so that we have all that we need in all times. In verse 10, he will supply and multiply. He will give us what we need and even multiply it. See, God is the one who causes those seeds to grow, right? You could say, but no, God didn't do this. I, I, I got this bag of seeds on my own. This is my own hard work that got these seeds. Where did they come from? They came from another harvest. And ultimately, it's God who causes it to grow. We can water it. Someone else can fertilize it but God's the one who will make it grow. He supplies the blessing in our life. God gives us each what we need. Uh, again, let's just be honest here. It's not always what we want. It's not always in the way we want it, right? But God always supplies what we need. He will give us what we need. He will meet with us in, in, in times of, of um, joy and praise and exaltation and just everything's going amazing and he'll meet, meet with us in times when we're at our lowest where we're not crying out to God for help but we're crying out against him in anger and frustration because we feel like God you've abandoned me and yet we find in those times that he's right there with us providing all that we need it may not be easy remember week one we talked about this that the good life isn't necessarily the easy life but we know how the story ends that helps us to work through those difficult times also knowing that God is a God who gives and will provide for our needs. But here's the thing. We could say that God gives generously all that we need, but there's more to kind of the heart there, right? If we go back to the text, we see that God gives generously so that we have all that we need to be generous. There's a purpose in that. There's a, there's a, a follow-up in that. We'll go back to the text here. Verse 8 said, so that you may abound in every good work. God gives us all that we need, all these blessings for the purpose of, so that you may abound in every good work. Verse 10, he will supply and multiply, what? Your seed for sowing. He'll give us what we need so we can throw it back out there in the fields of our lives and it'll grow in the lives of others as well. 
and be a blessing to them. There's a call, there's an expectation, there's an invitation to live on mission for God. What's beautiful about this is it's kind of a win-win across the board for everybody. As we follow God and trust in him and build a life on Jesus, and we say, God, we see that you are God who gives, and we want to be like you. And so we're going to be generous. We're going to sow much, which will reap a harvest. That harvest God will use to care for the needs of others. You've been blessed by someone else's harvest, right? I mean, think about anywhere you are in your life, and you can find a way in which say, this is someone else's harvest that I'm benefiting from. If you come from a, a strong family background that's made uh, wise financial decisions and, and you, you're born into that, you could say, okay, I, I, I'm coming from someone else's harvest. It, the fact that we gather together in this building, um, Meadowland didn't convert this barn into a church. Someone else paid that price. We may have evicted some of the squirrels that remain, but someone else paid the first price. You know, we, we, we reap someone else's harvest. And the beautiful part about that is that as we sow generously, God will use that to bless others as well because there's plenty to go around. So God gives. He's a God who gives, and he gives so that to meet our needs and to meet our needs so we can be generous to others, to use us to meet the needs of others. I said four things. Here's the second one. If we want to increase the generosity in our life, if we want to be more generous givers, if we want to build our lives on this principle that if you sow a little, you reap a little, but if you sow much, you reap much, something else we need to do is we need to grow in compassion for others. We need to grow in compassion for others. Have you seen these videos online? Again, someone's just trying to get clicks most likely, but whatever. Um, where where they, they, they find a homeless person in, in a city and they'll, they'll, they'll bless them in some extravagant way. They'll give them a good chunk of money. Sometimes they kind of sneak it in there too when they're not looking or they, they get up to leave and they'll put a bunch of cash in their bag and they, they come back and they, they uncover this. And then they follow them to go see what they do with it. And I've seen a bunch of these different videos where they go and, and they go to a store and buy something they need, but they don't just buy what they need. They come out with like bags just hanging off their arms. And they're thinking, okay, well, they just spent all this stuff to get their own needs met and whatever. It makes sense. They're homeless. I'm sure they have needs. But then they, they follow them. And they see them walk to where their friends are in the homeless community. And they start giving out these bags one at a time until they're all gone. Or they go get a whole feast of food and they do the same thing, passing it out. And, I think, and then they, they go and they kind of break the charade. Oh, by the way, we've been filming you this whole time and, and we want to give this to you to see what you would do with it. And, and, and hey, can we ask this question? I always ask this question. Why, why did you, you give away all that you'd just gotten? And they always say an answer that's something like this. They say, I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to be in need. And I think that reality has expanded their capacity for compassion. That their understanding of knowing what it means to be in need has enabled them to have compassion in a greater capacity. And so if you want to grow in compassion for others, we need to begin by acknowledging our own need, right? We need to see the ways in which we have needs in our own life. And your needs might be different than someone else's needs, might be different from someone else's needs, but they are there. Last week, two of our elders, Dave and Jim, came up here and they're talking about this, this upcoming trip we have to Haiti in March. And they were sharing from their experience when they went last, last spring. And they shared that in one of the conversations they had, they just noticed uh, some of the joy in the Haitian people. 
And it led to this conversation, led to this realization where uh, the people in Haiti would say, we may be in poverty, we may be poor in things, we don't have many things. But as we look to America, we see a place that's poor in spirit, poor spiritually. Basically meaning that their pursuit of God was weak. There's a need for a greater pursuit, an understanding of who God is. And so we can see that we may have different needs, but we are all in need in one way or another. Where's your need? We will grow in compassion when we begin to acknowledge our need. And when you can connect with your own need, man, your compassion will, will just grow. We grow in compassion when we check our own judgment of others. Compassion, I think, can grow a couple different ways. And one is when we see our own needs, it grows our compassion. The other is when we check our own judgment. I think judgment's a killer of compassion. You can start walking down a road of compassion, but then judgment starts to step in, and all of a sudden it starts to squelch in that compassion. Say, no, no, you don't need to be too generous here. There's a gentleman stopped by the church, and you know, we've shared uh, over this past month about, and the previous month about our benevolent fund. And um, I just got to say again, if you didn't hear the news, uh, we set aside funds every year that are just to be given out to those in need, whether you're part of the Meadowland or not, uh, people in the community, wherever there's a need. And this is everything from, you know, helping cover uh, a gap. And, 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 you know, if someone's got uh, just got fired from a job and not sure what the next job is yet, and there's just some bills they need help with or getting behind on or um, find themselves in a position where they need some food on the table or help with a bill um, or just need a gas card. It's probably one of the more common ones we have, people looking for a gas card, kind of help make it through to payday kind of stuff and uh, all kinds of different situations. And um, we just made it a point, you know, uh, we want to do something to, for, for everybody that comes in uh, just to kind of just have this heart of generosity. And we want to be wise about it and how we use uh, those funds as well. But we had used up all those funds and then some, uh, it was like a month or so ago, and we just made this request to the church saying, hey, would, would you be willing to partner with us in replenishing that account? Um, and, and we doubled it, basically. So if, you know, we had about 2,000 to begin with, and it was like 4,500 is roughly where we landed. And, and so uh, you guys responded to that. I'm so thankful for that. We've been able already uh, to give a lot of that back out to those in need uh, and just be a blessing to others. Um, but we, we grow in compassion when we... we, we check our judgment and so this gentleman had come to the church he's asking for a gas card and and so uh, we typically have gas cards in the safe we'll take one out you know if you need gas we'll we'll help you with that and and we were all out we just hadn't replenished our our stash of gas cards and so i said you know what meet me down at the gas station just down the street here and we'll get some gas in your tank for you and uh, Carmen, our office manager, been the first one to talk to him. And so I, I didn't really get the whole story. It just was someone looking for gas. Like I said, we usually try to help and be generous. And so uh, I, get the, I go out to the parking lot to go get my, my car to go meet him down at the gas station. He's doing the same. And I just, I happen to notice, in my, pers- my perspective, comparison to what I drive, I felt like he had a much nicer vehicle. Again, I just, I observed that. I begin to see this little judgment monster inside of me start to creep up and start to squelch my compassion. And then as I'm getting in my car, he was parked a little bit ahead of me in the sense where I could see his license plate and I noticed it was a temporary plate. Meaning he had just purchased this vehicle not too long ago, which means he either had the cash for this nicer vehicle or was able to get a loan approved for this nicer vehicle. And I begin thinking, well, why is he in need? Does, does, he, does he really, are we getting scammed here just for, you know, 25 bucks a, a gas? And my heart just started to go to this ugly place. But then I'm like, no, no, Steve, no, you, you never know. We can find ourselves in need in all kinds of situations. You could be the, the wealthiest person in this world, and there's still needs that you have. 
You could be Keith Urban, who's married to Nicole Kidman, and between the two of you have access to all kinds of funds, and yet still need help buying your gas station snacks. Let's just be honest here. Need can hit at any point in time. And, and so I, I had to check my own heart in this. And, and so the whole drive, which isn't a very long drive down to the gas station, I was just kind of like, God, help me have a good heart about this. You know, the sinful nature just wants to be judgmental, but I, I'm trying to be generous and, and, and compassionate. And so we get to the gas station, put in 25 bucks. Um, as I'm walking away, I you know, try and talk with him a little bit. And he just shares, he says, thank you so much. You know, um, I, I, I was trying to get to a doctor's appointment with my son. And, you know, if you miss those appointments, it was, really hard. It was one of those ones be really hard to reschedule. And, and so he really wanted to get this appointment. He said, I, I just happened to forget my wallet. And, and we were running out. We won't have enough gas to make it there. Kind of like say, hey, I, I could have paid. I have the means. I just don't have them right now. And you know what? That, 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 doesn't, that helped me. I feel like God, that, God gave that to me to kind of just, okay, Steve, this, this, you need to hear this and check your own heart. Because I, I was struggling with that just kind of judgmental attitude. See, when we, when we walk that road, that battles against our compassion. And you can, we can be the cynic too and say, well, how, how do we know that's even true? I, I don't know. And quite frankly, I don't care. I don't care. Because I know if I allow that heart of judgment to continue to walk down that road, man, it just squelches all compassion. And I would rather err on the side of being too compassionate than being too judgmental, right? So we can grow in compassion for others is another way we can become generous givers. If you want to become more generous, a third thing we can do is expand our scope of generosity. We need to expand our scope of generosity. I think just our natural inclination, most of us here, if not all of us, as we've been talking about generosity, have been thinking about finances. Oh, this is one of those money messages. And you wouldn't be completely off. The context of the passage we're looking at is about giving finances to help another church. And the initial context, yes, is about finances as much as we're talking about farming spoiler alert this is about giving of our finances but it's so much more than that to say that's all it is would sell this truth short go back to second corinthians chapter 9 and let's let's pick up the next verse verse 11 you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to god and again, the connotation here isn't just every way kind of financially. You'll be enriched to give in quarters and in dollars and in five dollars and in cashier's checks. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying in all ways, there's all kinds of different ways that you can give generously, and this is the way that God is going to bless you so you can give in all ways, in every way. I'm going to start a new game here at Meadowland. I hope I can, we can have some other uh, renditions of this game, but this is going to be the first time we try this game. Give me your feedback. Let it know how it goes. We haven't developed the point system yet, so that's up to you. Let me know what your point system was, and, and we'll kind of develop this thing. We're going to call this the Car Ride Challenge. Car Ride Challenge, okay? Today is the day to play the Car Ride Challenge. If you came alone today, that's fine. You can still play. Uh, maybe invite someone to join you for lunch. You can carpool together and, and leave a car there. Or if that's you know, inappropriate or, or weird or wrong or whatever, you just don't want to, that's fine. Meet somewhere and then do the car ride challenge wherever you're eating, right? The next time you're with some other people, play the car ride challenge. And this is what I want you to do as part of the car ride challenge. See who can think of more ways to be generous. I know, I kind of built that up too much. It's just, oh, that's all? 
You want me to have a conversation with someone. That's all you want. It's a car ride challenge, people. It's more fun that way. First time, car ride challenge. Yes, you can have winners and losers, but then you, know, you want to be generous and, and kind and, in that. And, but name various ways you can be, can be generous. You know the bingo scorecard? You have, you know, you, uh, when you're playing, you have to fill in different squares and whatnot. That center one is always a star, the freebie. The freebie is a dollar sign in this question. How can you be generous? You can be generous with your finances. Gary, you got that one? That's the freebie for everybody. But what other ways can you be generous? I'm going to list them off here. And so if you really want to win the car ride challenge, take some notes here on the side. You can be generous with your time, right? Where you say, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice using this time for myself. I'm going to give this time to someone else. You can be generous in your abilities. Whether it's using your abilities for the sake of someone else. We were just talking about, you know, getting that, that email list going. We're going to provide meals for someone. And this is one of my wife's strengths. She just makes these amazing meals for people and, and just blesses them with that. And it's, it's her skill set that she's honed and she's, she's crafted, and then she's being generous with that. But you can also use it, your skills in, in how you maybe teach someone else. On one hand, you can help someone by, you know what, let me, let me get those breaks taken care of for you. Or you can say, hey, do you want to do them with me? I can show you how to do it. You, you know, there's a bunch of different ways, and that's, that's, that does count as two different answers to the car ride challenge. Using your skills to bless someone or using your skills to teach someone. In forgiveness. Think about that. We can be generous in forgiveness. We can be generous in our patience. That's all I'll give you. So if you really want to play the car ride challenge, I'm going to leave all the rest out there on the table. But, man... Name all the different ways that you can be generous and let me know who wins. You can keep score in points or in stars or in high fives. Just let me know who wins. But if you want to be a generous giver, we need to expand our scope of generosity. I think sometimes when we narrow it down to, genera- to just finances, one, we miss out on all kinds of opportunities. But two, I think in our culture, in our society, that, that's where cynicism can grow, right? When we think it's all about our money. We think it's all about our finances. We need to expand our understanding, our scope of generosity. Fourth one is this. It's kind of a reminder. Reaping requires time. Reaping requires time as God makes it grow. There's nothing sillier than a farmer who throws his seed in the field and then stands there getting mad why he doesn't have any crop yet. Right? Imagine that that scene. Because it takes time. It takes time for those seeds to grow. And on top of that, while you can make some educated guesses, at the end of the day, you don't know which seeds are going to grow. You may put a seed in some of the most fertile land, a fertile soil you've ever experienced, but it's crowded out by a bunch of other seeds, and that one seed doesn't grow. You may put seed in, in, in land of your life that always produces fruit, but you know what? This season there's a storm, and it floods out, and nothing grows there. You don't know what's going to grow and what's not. You don't know what's going to reap a harvest and what's not, but you do know this. If you sow a little, you're going to reap a little. If we sow a lot, we will reap a lot. And hopefully we've gotten the picture. This is far greater than ourselves. This is God working in and amongst and through his people to be a blessing amongst his people and to be a blessing to the world. And so if you want to live the good life, if you truly want to live the good life, it's a life that's centered in Jesus. But if you're not there yet, if you're not sure about that, you want to begin to experience this good life, man, let us work to be generous givers.
Because our God is a God who gives. And the more we're like him, man, the more we experience that good life. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. We thank you for the amazing ways you've given. We thank you for the amazing ways that you've displayed generosity to us, Father. We thank you that you meet all of our needs. And Father, if we're in a position right now where, where there's some significant major needs in front of us, and we're, we hear that, that phrase that, that I've said, that you meet our needs, and we're like, right, maybe there's some cynicism, or there's some hurt, or there's some anger that swells up. We think, how can God meet this? How will God meet this? If there's anyone out there this morning, Father, who's feeling abandoned by you, I pray that you would reveal your plan to them this morning. And as this day unfolds, that they would see your hand in their life in a new way, in a fresh way that they hadn't seen before. That they would see how you are working in and through them, in and through your people to satisfy those needs. I pray it wouldn't stop there, Father God. That as you provide for our needs, as you meet our needs, that you would then give us the opportunity, the privilege, the joy of of meeting the needs of others through our generosity. Many times it's never as clean and simple as our needs are met. Now we can meet others, but it's always this mess, Father, of, hey, we still have some, but we're getting other ones taken care of, and we can, let's be generous together. Father, soften our hearts. I know my heart can get hard when it comes to things like this. As we talked about, you know, judgment can creep in, cynicism, tight fists with what we have. We want to call it our own, and yet it's all from you, Father. Soften our hearts. Give us a heart of such compassion that when we see others in need, our heart breaks for them. We long to see how we can help. Father, I thank you that we can know you, Jesus. That all all our needs are met in you. Help us to walk in that reality each day. We love you, God. You are a generous giver. Help us to be like you in that. Praise in your name. Amen.